rest of you, go ahead and get your Bibles open to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. Now, we are going to be throughout the book of Isaiah, so I can't really give you one particular chapter to go to. I can tell you we're going to start in Isaiah 53. Uh, so you can go ahead and go there. I am going to have all the scriptures on the screen. So if you have, if you can't flip there in time, uh, that's fine. It'll be there for you to read. But uh, we're looking at Isaiah this morning. Now, uh, this morning, my sermon, uh, typically my sermons, I keep them in my, my iPad here, and they're typically 12 pages of notes long. Uh, this week, they're eight pages of notes. That means two, one of two things. One, we're going to get out here a little early. Or two, I'm going to go down so many rabbit trails, we're going to end up here until three o'clock. It's probably the second. Uh, it's probably where we end up. But there is hope. And that's what Isaiah is about. Hope. Now, this morning, uh, as we look at the book of Isaiah, there's, there's kind of a, a something we need to understand about Scripture. Sometimes as we're reading the Bible through we, we get to parts of the Bible like the prophets, like Isaiah and Malachi and, and, and Hosea and all these, these prophets that are, you know, they're after the book of Proverbs. And so we assume these events happened after everything that happened before. But Isaiah, it, he actually, the events in the book of Isaiah take place during the book of 2 Kings. You, you see Isaiah in the book of 2 Kings. So it is during the rule of Hezekiah. It's not much further than what we looked at last week with the healing of Naaman. So we have skipped from 2 Kings to Isaiah. We've skipped a lot of books of the Bible, but we're not skipping that much time in Scripture. Uh, this is this the book. The events of Isaiah occur, uh, or the prophecy of Isaiah occurs during the end of the kingdom age. It's still during the divided kingdom of Israel, but it is just before the northern kingdom is conquered by the Assyrians and taken away into captivity. Now it's been 185 years since the story we looked at last week. But not a lot has changed. The, the nation of Israel is, is still divided into two separate kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, the northern kingdom is being once again led by wicked kings. You remember I said last week the northern kingdom had 20 kings and every king was a wicked king. Every one of them rejected God. Every one of them was into idol worship and false gods and wickedness. Every king from the northern kingdom was a wicked king. Now, the southern kingdom, they didn't have much better kings, but they had at least eight kings that God said were good. And during this time, the southern kingdom is being led by Hezekiah, which was a good king. He was one of the last good kings. There's one more after him, but he was a, a good king who feared the Lord. But the northern kingdom is being ruled by a king named Hosea, and he is just a wicked king. He, hate, he doesn't have anything to do with God. He's into idol worship. And the southern kingdom is being led by Hezekiah. Now, during the divided kingdom stage, God raised up the prophets. We saw this last week. It was a lot like the judges, where God would raise up the judges to kind of lead Israel out of, 
out of uh, captivity because of their sin. But during the prophet's age, the prophets were raised up by God, not to lead Israel militarily or even lead them religiously, but to prophesy against them, to proclaim to them what they're doing wrong and to point out sin in the life of the nation of Israel. And usually every nation had its own prophet. There was usually a prophet for the northern kingdom and a prophet for the southern kingdom. Isaiah was a prophet for both. He lived in the southern kingdom. He interacted more with Hezekiah. You can actually read in 2 Kings some of the stories of his interactions with Hezekiah and some of the events that occur between him and Hezekiah. But he prophesied against the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And he would proclaim to them the sin that they had committed against God, the wickedness that was in their lives, and he would tell them that judgment was coming to them. So the entire book of Isaiah is prophecy. Now, you can read about the history of Isaiah in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. You can see Isaiah's life and kind of the events that he did. But the entire book of Isaiah is a book of prophecy. It is Isaiah proclaiming to Israel and to Judah the judgment that God's going to send to them because of their sin, because of the wickedness in their life. And so he is prophesying events that are going to happen. He is telling them that judgment is going to come. And he, his predictions, his prophecies are extremely accurate. He doesn't get one of them wrong. And so he is prophesying to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom that judgment's coming. And it's a, it's a pretty bleak book. The first half is just his prophecy against the northern kingdom. Telling the northern kingdom or telling Judah uh, or telling Israel that God is going to send judgment. He names the Assyrians. He says the Assyrians are going to come in. They're going to conquer the land they're going to destroy the city. They're going to kill the king. They're going to take the people captive and lead them off into slavery. And he, he gives incredible detail about what's going to happen, why it's going to happen, and even when it's going to happen. And he tells them, this is going to happen because of your sin and because of your wickedness. And it happens. The Assyrians come in during Isaiah's lifetime. They conquer the northern kingdom, Israel. They kill the king. They kill thousands and thousands of people. They take the rest of the people captive and lead them into slavery. And it's just, it's a terrible, terrible time in the nation of Israel. Now, the southern kingdom, Judah's still there. Remember, they got Hezekiah. He's a pretty good king. He has taken the nation from idolatry back to worshiping God. So God's giving them some grace and giving them some mercy there. But he also prophesies about them, says later on, and it does happen about 400 years later, he says the Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to destroy the temple. You know, Judah's got the temple of God in Jerusalem. They're going to conquer Jerusalem. They're going to destroy the temple. They're going to tear it down. They're going to take everyone captive. They're going to take the riches and the wealth and the prosperity and the hope of Israel, and they're going to lead them away into slavery. And it happens just like Isaiah said. He is prophesying the end of the nation of Israel. From the time that Jerusalem fell to Babylon, 
until 1948, Israel doesn't exist. There is no nation of Israel. It's gone. Why? Because of their sin. Because they had rejected God. Because they had turned their back on God. And so there's a lot of judgment and warnings and prophecies in the book of Isaiah. And it's very easy to look at, the, look at the book of Isaiah and look at these prophecies and say, well, because again, things he said came true. He named the king that was going to conquer the, in Jerusalem 400 years before that king was even born. And he got it right. I mean, he's better than any, any you know, fortune teller ever. God gave it to him and he, he named him and it came true. So it's, it's history that occurred. It's God's warning that occurred. And it's very dark things that are going to happen. So it's filled with all this. And it's easy to look at it and say, well, that's God talking about Israel because of what they did. But again, every time we read scripture, we need to understand God's talking to us. Because it's... It's there for us to read. and It's in our life. So God is giving us warnings about what our sin will do in our life. Our sin will make us slaves. Make us slaves to the sin and the, the captivity to our, our own desires. And our sin will destroy us. Our sin will ruin us. And again, it's not just talking about, you know, people who aren't saved, because look, if you've never accepted Christ as your savior, your sin is going to send you to hell and there's nothing you can do about it. Your sin is going to destroy you, is going to take you away captive and there's no hope. But even as us believers, we've accepted Christ as our savior. We've been redeemed to God the father. Our sin will still destroy us. It'll destroy our families. It'll destroy our hope. It'll destroy our relationship with God. And so Isaiah is a, a dark book that is, has heavy warnings to all of us here this morning. But it's also got some incredible hope that God gives us there. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. We're going to focus on the hope that the book of Isaiah gives, not just to the nation of Israel, but to us this morning. So look in Isaiah chapter 53, starting verse number six. <clears throat> the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, I know you're like, well, there's the hope in that. We're going to get to the hope in that. Don't worry. But this, this verse here, it gives us the message of the Bible. Since the Garden of Eden, we have been running from God. All of us have. Adam and Eve, the first thing they did after they sinned they covered themselves, and then they hid from God. They tried to get away from the relationship with God the Father. And ever since then, man has been running from God. We have been running from God. Isaiah says that we are like sheep that believe that we know the best path and the best plan for ourselves so we go our own way. Now, that's significant, God calling a sheep, because the people in Isaiah's day, they understood what sheep were like. Any of y'all have a lot of experience with sheep? A little bit? Okay. If you've ever had a lot of experience with sheep, you'll understand 
Sheep are dumb. And that's just, I'm not trying to say you're dumb. God's saying you're dumb, all right? But sheep are, they're very stubborn. They think they know what's best for themselves. They think they know everything. So they, they, they try to go their own way. And if they're left to themselves, sheep will die in the wilderness. They'll die of, they'll, they'll, they'll eat something they shouldn't eat, so they get poisoned. They'll fall off a cliff and die because their eyesight's not very good. Now, they can see 320 degrees around them, but their, their eyesight's not very good. So even what they see, it's kind of blurry and fuzzy and they don't really understand it. So danger's got to be very, very close to them to recognize it as danger. Sheep are stubborn. Sheep, they tend to get into trouble by themselves. And that's what God is saying about us. Are we any luck? Because I got a video I want to show. Okay, great. All right, never mind. Um, all right, anyway, <laughs> there's a video. Y'all may have seen it on Facebook. I saw it in a pastor's, it was a, in a pastor's forum. There's this video of this, this sheep, this guy. I don't know where he's at. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not America, but he's pulling this sheep out of a ditch. And he pulls this sheep out of a ditch and he puts it on the ground and the sheep immediately runs off and jumps right back in the ditch. Have y'all seen that video? It's a hilarious video and they're like, yeah, you've seen it. And they're like, this is what your, this is what your parishioners are like. And I'm like, that's what I'm like with God. That's what we're all like with God. We'll get into trouble. God will pull us out of trouble. And what's the first thing we do? Run and get right back in trouble again. And that's what God is saying about us. We are dumb sheep. We have bite eyesight. We can't see where danger is. When sheep fall over, they tend to get stuck like a turtle on their back. They need someone to help them get up or they're going to die. So the idea of us being sheep, it's, it's not flattering to us. God is saying we are blind, clumsy, stubborn, Dumb animals that are going to be eaten by wild predators if someone doesn't watch over us. And Isaiah says, we all like sheep, we go our own way. We run away from the protection of God. We run away from what God has done for us. We are constantly running away from the someone that wants to watch over us. The one that is there to protect us, to guide us, we run from him. But look over in Isaiah chapter 40. I'll give you time to flip there. Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 11. <clears throat> so remember, Isaiah 53 says, we're all like dumb sheep that run from God. Isaiah 40, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Now that, to me, is great news. You know, no matter how stubborn we are, how often we run away, God is there to love us, to protect us, to guide us, to care for us. We run away, he comes and gets us. You know that, that video that I can't show you? That sheep it gets out of the ditch and runs and jumps in the ditch. You know what God does? God goes back, pulls it right back out of the ditch. He runs in the ditch again, you know what God does? God goes and Pull out of this. You know, me as a shepherd, 
After a while, when that sheep falls in a ditch, I'm like, well, I guess that's where you're living the rest of your life now because that's where you want to be. See you later. I'm done with you. God never gets done with us. God says, we're all, gonna, we're all like sheep. We're all going to wander. We're all going to stray. We're all going to go our own way. But God loves us so much. God cares for us so much that he's always going to come and find us. He's always going to be there to protect us. He's always going to be there to help us when we need it the most. See, the gospel isn't about us trying to get to God. The gospel is about God, is about God coming to us. It's not about us trying to be good enough and strong enough and, and, and faithful enough to find God. It's about us as dumb, stubborn, blind sheep wandering around doing our own thing. It is about God loving us so much that he comes and finds us no matter where we are. Look at Isaiah chapter 43, verse number 4. <clears throat> See, I have these verses written in my notes, but I'm giving you time. I want to flip there so you have time. Isaiah 43, verse 4, says, Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore, I will give men for thee and people for thy life. Since thou hast been precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. God, we are we are precious in the eyes of God. Now, when I think of precious, I think of like a, a, a puppy. Puppies are precious. Even kittens. Kittens are precious, but then they become cats and become the devil. But when they're young and they're kittens, they're so precious, but then they grow up and they're, they're, they're hateful and evil and we don't like them anymore. But puppies are precious. Dogs are precious. So something like, oh, that's so cute. That's not what this word precious means. This word precious means desirable above everything else. That's what God thinks of you. You understand that? You, right there, look, look at yourself. I know you can't. You are desirable above everything else to God. He loves you so much that he does anything he can to bring you to him. Remember in the New Testament, the story of the, the parable Jesus told of the, the, hundred, the hundred sheep? One sheep gets lost in the wilderness. And again, we think, oh, just one sheep wandered off across the street. We'll go get it real quick. No, no, no. He says he got lost in the wilderness. And that's, that's key because the wilderness was a dangerous place, not just for sheep, but for the shepherd. There were, in the, during this time in Israel's history, there were lions in the, de in the wilderness. There were bears in the wilderness. There were wolves in the wilderness. Now, yeah, lions and bears and wolves, they eat sheep, but you know who else they eat? People. So it was dangerous to go in the wilderness to get the sheep. But this shepherd loves that one sheep so much that he leaves the 99 other sheep and goes into a dangerous area to find that one. He risked his life for that one sheep. It doesn't make sense to risk your life for 10% for, you know, of your possessions. But that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He risked 
everything for us. I'm sorry, not 10%, 1%. Yeah, 1%. 10% you may go after. 1%. You got $100? You lose a dollar? Are you going to go into a, you going to go to Afghanistan to get that $1? I'm not. I probably won't, you know, I don't care about a dollar when I got a hundred. But Jesus loved you so much. He gave everything for you. Look what our Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 4. <clears throat> it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now remember Isaiah, he's just finished prophesying to the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, hey, God's going to send judgment, God's going to destroy you, the temple's going to be torn down, many of you are going to be killed, the rest of you are going to be taken to slavery, the nation of Israel is going to be destroyed, and you'll, it's going to be gone forever, but... God loves you so much, he's going to send someone to heal you. He's going to send someone to take the judgment, the punishment of sin for you. He's going to send someone to do for you what you could never do for yourself. Jesus, as the good shepherd, he did more than just come after us when we were lost in the wilderness. He gave his life for us. He took the punishment for our sins that we should have taken. And again, sometimes I think we don't really understand the severity of what Jesus went through because he was God. But he was also 100% man. Yeah, he suffered physically. You know, this Easter, we watched the, uh, the Passion of the Christ with our kids because it's, it's, to me, it's the, it's the most graphic and realistic representation you can get of the crucifixion and it still doesn't even come close to what he went through for us he was scourged he was beaten you know i read a book about a medical a doctor who talked about the crucifixion and said that the scourging alone usually killed most people because it wasn't just being whipped with like a belt it was ripping off flesh and chunks of flesh would be ripped off of Jesus. They said that his, his bones would have been exposed to the air. His spinal column and the nerve endings in his spine would have been exposed to the air. You ever had a cavity and you, you know, breathe in some cold air, drink something cold, and it kind of hurts real bad? Yeah, that's nothing compared to what Jesus had to go through. And then, after that severe beating that should have killed him, they put that crown of thorns on his head, and it wasn't just a rose bush. These, these thorns were two or three inches long, and they drove him into his scalp. They would go through his skin, hit his, hit his skull, and go under his skin. They mocked him. They spit on him. They ripped his beard out. Then they put that rough cross on his bare back and made him after losing blood and in shock, made him carry that cross all the way to the hill of Golgotha. Then they laid him on it. And they put nails 
through his wrist and his feet and nailed him to that rough piece of wood with the skin open and being flailed open. Then they put him up in the, on, in the air and they put him in that little socket and put him in the ground and the Bible says his bones came out of joint. Isaiah tells us he was so severely beaten you couldn't even tell he was a man. And he suffered physically that torment. But you know the worst part of it? While he's on that cross, God the Father took my sin, he took your sin, and he placed it on Jesus Christ. And then he turned his back on him. That's why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's why when Jesus was on the cross, the world went dark for three hours. Why? Because God the Father had turned his back on God the Son because my sin was on his Son. And God rejected Jesus for a while because he was paying for our sin debt. And then Jesus died. And, you know, we, we know he died, he was buried, and three days later he rose again. Do you know what he did in those three days? He went to hell for us. Not the burning hell. I mean, I'm not, but he went to Abraham's bosom. The Bible says he led captivity captive. He went to, because if you read the Bible, hell and what the Bible calls Abraham's bosom was a, you know, Abraham's bosom was a waiting place for the saints of God to go until Jesus paid their sin debt. Because until their sin debt was paid, they couldn't go to heaven. But they, they couldn't go to hell because they put their faith that Jesus was, that God was going to send a redeemer. So they didn't go to hell. They didn't go to heaven. They went to what was called Abraham's bosom. It's where is it? It's in the center of the earth. We can talk about that later. I'll, if you want, I'll explain it. I'll show you in scripture where it's at. But Abraham's bosom and hell were side by side. We see that in the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Rich man's in hell. Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom being comforted, but they see each other. They can talk to each other. So they're right there. But Abraham's bosom, it, was a, it wasn't a place of torment. It was a place of waiting. It's like, you know, the waiting room for the doctor. There, there's nothing there. But most importantly, God's not there. You know what makes hell, hell? The fact that God's not there. Is there fire? Yeah, there's fire. Yeah, there's torment. Yeah, there's punishment. But the worst thing about hell is the fact that God's not there and he never will be. You know what the best thing about heaven is? It's not our loved ones that are there for us. It's not the fact that, you know, there's walls of pearl and, or gates of pearl and walls of jasper and streets of gold and all that wonderful stuff we talk about. And, you know, I was, saw on Facebook, somebody said, who's the first person you're going to see when you get to heaven? And people are like, oh, I want to see my mom. I want to see my granddad. I'm like, I'm going to see Jesus. And he's all I'm going to see. That's the, that's the only person I want to see when I get to Jesus. Oh, but you got loved ones here. Well, they'll find me if they really want to. You know what? I want, I want to see Jesus. But you know what makes heaven heaven? The fact that God is there. Doesn't matter if there's walls of pearl. Doesn't matter if there's, you know, streets of gold. Doesn't matter if it's just mud huts everywhere. God is there and that's what makes it heaven. But Jesus, when he died, he went to Sheol. Abraham's bosom, but he went to hell for us. He took the punishment for our sin so we never have to. I will never even one second see, even see the flames of hell.
Never have to experience it. Why? Because Jesus took my punishment for me. He died for me. He went to hell for me. And again, I'm not saying he went to burning hell and suffered. Through. He didn't. He went to Abraham's bosom. But for this analogy, it's still hell because God ain't there. All right. That's what I'm saying. He took my punishment for me. He did for me what I could never do. And for a while, God had rejected the son. And he did that because he loves us. He took the punishment for our sins. He died so we could live. What shepherd would do that? The life of a sheep doesn't compare to the life of a shepherd. Why would God, the creator of all life, give his life for us? Because he loves us incredibly. Doesn't make sense, but he does. He even loves us before we loved him. God even loves those people alive today who hate him. There are people that curse God, that hate God, that reject God, and God loves them. And God died for them. And God wants us to reach them with his story. It doesn't make any sense. You know, why love someone who doesn't love you back? That's how God loves us. God loves people. God gives himself to people, people that reject him, people that curse him, people that ignore him. Jesus loved the people that killed him. Those Roman soldiers that were scourging him and ripping the flesh from his bones, he loved them and he died for them. The soldiers that mocked him and nailed him to the cross and then cast lots for his clothes, he loved them. And he died for them. Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, if there's one subject that makes me back away from this platform, utterly ashamed of my poor, feeble words, it is this subject. The love of Christ is the most amazing thing under heaven, if not in heaven itself. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, starting verse 1. It says, nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Napathali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Without God, we're trapped in darkness. We stumble around blind, looking for happiness, looking for fulfillment, and never finding it. And Jesus comes into that darkness. He shows us what the problem is and what we are missing. And here's the thing. We were created for God, and our lives will always feel incomplete if he's not a part of them. Without God, we are lost Helpless, blind, hopeless sheep. And that's where Israel was in Isaiah's day. And that's where we are without God in our lives. Look at Isaiah 29, 18. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity, 
and out of darkness. See, that's incredible hope for us. God says, hey, one day you're going to hear. One day you're going to see what you really need to see. Because of him, we will hear. We will see. We will be taken out of darkness and brought into the wonderful light of God. Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death and victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the rebuke of his people shall be taken away from off all the earth for the Lord hath spoken it. Isaiah says, look, death is coming. Destruction is coming. Judgment is coming. But God is also sending a redeemer to take away the sting of death to take away the pain of death. Look, death has been swallowed up in victory. As a believer, when we die, we don't lose. We close our eyes on this side of, of, this side of heaven and we open up, up, up and see our Savior face to face. It's not a loss for the believer. It's a victory. It's a loss for us who are left behind. We were talking last night at the men's fellowship about Brother Paul. Man, I miss Brother Paul. I've heard a couple amens, but it, this sermon would have gotten him amen in a lot. I miss that. But I just miss talking about Jesus with him, talking about God with him, hearing him sing gospel songs. I miss him. He don't miss me. You know why? Because he's seeing his Savior face to face. That Savior he sung about and preached about and told people about, he is with him right now. And if I, Paul, come back and talk to me. Now nah, I'm good. I'll see you when you get here. I'm where I want to be. Death had nothing on him. He conquered it. Death has no victory over us. God will heal the whole world one day. One day death will be conquered forever. Sickness will be destroyed. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more heartbreak. There'll be no more betrayal. One day, yeah, judgment is here. Yes, there's punishment for sin. But one day God will make everything new. Isaiah gives us incredible hope in this book. But nobody believed him when he wrote it. They rejected his message. They didn't believe his warnings of judgment. And they didn't believe his messages of hope. But everything Isaiah prophesied about came true. Assyria conquered and invaded and conquered the northern kingdom. Babylon, 400 years later, invaded and conquered the southern kingdom. But he wasn't just right about the judgment that God would send. He was right about the hope that God would send through Jesus. Isaiah tells us that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Isaiah tells us he would come from the line of Abraham, from the tribe of Judah, and from David's household. Isaiah tells us that his suffering on the cross and how severely he would be beaten for our sins. Isaiah tells us about John the Baptist preparing the way for God to come to man. He tells us he would begin his ministry in Galilee, that he would perform miracles, that he would stand silent before his accusers, that he would be wounded and bruised but not broken, that he would be spit on and ridiculed, that he would be killed between two criminals. He tells us that he would pay, pray for his persecutors and would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Every prophecy in Isaiah came true, which means every picture of hope that Isaiah gives us is true today. Isaiah is about hope. And again, biblical hope 
is waiting for something to happen that you know will happen. And that has some implications for us today. So what's the first thing we're supposed to do because of this hope that we see in the book of Isaiah? First, we're, first thing we're supposed to do is believe the word of God. Deuteronomy tells us that for a prophet to be considered a prophet of God, every prophecy has to be true. If he got one of them wrong, even a little bit, he was considered a false prophet, and if he was alive, he was stoned to death. And if he was dead, all of his teachings were cast out. So you could be a prophet, and you could prophesy a thousand things that came true, just like you said they would, but get one thing wrong, and you're dead. You're not a, you're not a true prophet. Isaiah got everything right. He didn't get anything wrong. Not one thing was wrong in his prophecy. So we can believe what the Bible says about Jesus in the book of Isaiah. Because you know, we're not just saying, oh, well, Isaiah said Assyria would invade northern kingdom. And I guess it did because the book of Kings, Second Kings says it. History tells us this. This is stuff that we can look for in history and see the nation of Assyria invaded the northern kingdom of Jerusalem and took them away captive in 722 B.C. We can see that in history. We can see in history, 40 years later, King Darius, who, who he names, came down to Jerusalem, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took away the captivities, of, the captives of Jerusalem, took away as slaves. History tells us that. So Isaiah got it right. So if he was right about that, down to the name of the dude who did it, he's got to be right about everything he says about Jesus. He's got to be right about the fact that he would come, he would die for us. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, we would be healed. We can believe that. We can believe that Jesus took the punishment for our sin and he gives us his righteousness through his death, burial, and resurrection. We can believe that, take comfort in that, and rejoice in that because his love for us is incredible. But there's a second thing we're supposed to do. Not only should we believe the word of God, we're to proclaim the word of God. The truth that we see in Isaiah. The news of, yeah, coming judgment, but also the hope of Redeemer that we see in Isaiah is too good to keep to ourselves. It's too good to say, well, that's great for me. I'm just going to keep it to myself. And No, we are to proclaim the good news to everyone we can. Isaiah preached about the coming judgment of God and the hope of God that God had promised for 40 years. And no one listened, but he kept preaching. He kept sharing. He kept talking about the hope that was in Christ through the Redeemer that he would come. Isaiah 52, 7 says this. Says how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publish salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. See, Isaiah didn't see proclaiming the hope of God as a burden. He saw it as a blessing, a privilege that he got to share the hope and the peace of God that was available to everyone. He knew he had to share that hope with everyone he could, and we have to as well. It's our responsibility as God's children to proclaim the gospel to everyone we can. And that looks different for all of us. 
<coughs> that looks, you know, some of us, for, for me, proclaiming the gospel is preaching. I do talk to people one-on-one and giving the gospel is proclaiming the truth of the word of God, the love of God. For you, it may be just passing out tracts like Brother McCormick does and talking to people when you can and maybe getting a relationship with someone and, and trying to establish that relationship and showing them how much God loves them by through your life and just being. But all of us, no matter how we do it, we have the responsibility of preaching the gospel to a lost and dying world. If you're a believer this morning, that's your duty, to proclaim the truth that God has given us. You know, the story of Isaiah, it's a dark one. He talks about the coming judgment because of sin. He talks about the pain that we bring on ourselves because of our sin. But he also talks about the hope that we have in God, the hope of salvation, the hope of being brought out of darkness into the glorious light of God. He talks about the hope that we have and we can be certain of because of Christ's work on the cross. We can believe the hope that he gives us today. And we should also share that hope with everyone we can.